Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. Today's episode is brought to us by BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. It's exactly what you would write in the sand if you were stuck on an island, right? H-E-L-P, help. And then you see the helicopter go by, you start waving. BetterHelp is that helicopter. They are the ones that will save you. They will pick you up. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? I know for me, it's been a sense of feeling inadequate or uh, afraid of expressing my needs. Because like, if I express my needs and they say no and they find out what I really want, they're going to leave and I'll be abandoned and I have to start all over again. And, and also just comparing myself to other people. Every time I compare, I get on social media and I see the, the amazing life that other people are living, it just makes me want to just curl up and stop doing everything that I'm doing. But BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. Now, I understand when you are in uh, despair and, and you are spiraling, you just feel like, the last thing I want to do was talk to anybody, but it's the best thing to do. When, when I was in trouble, when I couldn't see my way through the, the, the thickness, through the darkness, it was talking to someone, especially a professional therapist that guided me through. I still have a therapist. I have not only my own therapist, but I have a couple's therapist. So me and my girlfriend have a therapist. Like therapy, talking to someone is so beneficial but it doesn't feel like it when you're in the midst of it. Now, I want you to remember that it's not a crisis line. Better help is not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. Better help is not the right solution for you if you have thoughts of hurting yourself or others. There is a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room with, as with traditional therapy. You could kick back at the crib at your house in Sukasa and get your therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they can make it easy and Free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling. And here's the kicker, ladies and gents. Financial aid is available. That's right. But you, ain't, you don't have to go to college. College ain't the only one doling out financial aid. BetterHelp has financial aid because BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily, right? Check them out. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash Leo. That's right. I got a slash before the name. Go to BetterHelp.com forward slash Leo. That's Better H-E-L-P and join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Special offer. Here's a special offer. Check this out. I just, 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 just came in just now. Special offer for my Before You Kill Yourself listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash Leo. That's right. Just for tuning in, just for being a, a friend, uh, an ally, uh, just somebody who I could just, who I enjoy spending my time with, 10% off your first month if you go to betterhelp.com forward slash Leo. Let's go. Today's guest is Terrence Dunkley, who is the host of Don't Man Up podcast. And today he's going to share with us his story of, of how his dad ended his life when he was nine and how he managed to get through it. You know, he was bullied in high school and then he found his voice, he found his power and his strength towards the end of high school. And we figure out how he did that. He talks about how his parents dealt uh, with his dad ending his life. And then, you know, through all those struggles and, and he was getting uh, not the best grades, 
somehow he becomes an aerospace engineer. So, so this is a, a, a great story. Beginning, middle, end. He gets married. He has two kids. I don't even want to tell you the whole thing. But we, we get into um, how he manages his emotions. He has, he has two techniques that help him stay grounded that I wrote down, and it, it's kind of validated some things that I was already doing, but it, uh, it, it really brought home the importance of, of these skills that he shares, um, or strategies, I should say. Um, and then also, we talk about trust and how hard it is to trust and how he is managing trust in, uh, uh, in his relationship. He's managing his feelings of inadequacy while raising his daughters. Um, and we also talk about sleep <laughs> because uh, he works some crazy hours. So we know all these things tie together. And obviously, we get into so much more. But, uh, and, and if you have not yet, go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly, where I share my self-soothing techniques and coping strategies for managing emotions and, uh, and those moments where I feel overwhelmed. I, I didn't do a good job yesterday. I'm going to be up front. Yesterday, I was feeling a bit overwhelmed with all the things that I'm doing. And um, uh, I, I, I just I had a bunch of, I just binge ate uh, all, the, all the things from ice cream to donuts to I forget what else it was. Uh, but, and I say good, and I realize that by saying good, I'm passing a judgment on what I've done. So it was, in a, it was an ineffective way of managing my emotions yesterday. And uh, I realized I just could have done nothing. And, and, and just giving myself permission at times to do absolutely nothing or to even share with friends uh, what I was feeling, which I didn't do. I, I just uh, isolated myself and was trying to manage my emotions myself, which as we talk about, we can't always do. So I think it's always important to share that with you all. So, cause I, it could be very easy to think that, you know, because I have this podcast and I have access to all these different people that I'm just on it a hundred percent of the time. And uh, I struggle. I have my struggles also. And, uh, but the important thing is, is that not only do we struggle, but that we share our struggles so that we don't feel like we're alone in this. And that's what's important. So I appreciate you for listening to my struggle. And, and I encourage you to also share uh, what you're going through also with someone who will listen. Or just write it in your journal if you feel like you don't have anyone. Uh, that works just as well. All right. With that said, let's jump into the episode. What's up, brother? I'm good, man. You? I'm good, man. I, I got my green tea. I got my uh, got my workout in. Got a few steps in. I'm, I'm <laughs> <laughs> same. <laughs> I'm just ready, ready to go work as well after this. So, <laughs> are you uh, now? What time is it where you are? Uh, Six p.m. Oh my god! So are, are so, you uh, are you winding down or are you one of those late night workouters? No, I'm winding down, but I've got to go to my full-time job in in about three hours. So <laughs> it's one of them. It's like, oh it's my, crazy! Now, yeah, what's your full-time job? <laughs> uh, I'm an engineer. What? Uh, so, oh, so you work the night shift? Yeah, well, it's every three weeks. So I do like a shift every three weeks. So it's not too bad. Uh, but that's got to jack up your sleep cycle. I imagine. Oh, it still takes it. Yeah. <laughs> Hundred <laughs> percent. I try to tell people like, I always go like, make sure you try and get like at least six to eight hours sleep a night. Make you feel good. Get a cold shower as soon as you get up, and, <laughs> and I'm like, oh shit, I've got to go work today. <laughs> oh man, I used to work graveyard, and that was the worst. I mean, it it didn't matter if I got my six to eight hours. It's just that 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 staying up late, and then I remember hundred percent. Uh, three a.m was always the hardest hour to stay up. Like I, I like <laughs> yeah. no matter what I did, no matter how much sleep I got the day, the day of, or day before 3am always sucked. Is that the same for you? 
<laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Between four and five, uh, three and five, it's like, oh, I'm angry here. <laughs> it's like I'm watching my machine going around. It's like I'm gonna fall asleep here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My body starts shaking, convulsing. Like it, it's it's literally fighting sleep. It's so <laughs> yeah, exactly. Interesting. Everyone's the same. It's it's crazy, isn't it? Now, did you go to school for engineering? Uh, no, actually, I didn't. Um, I went to school for website design and stuff like that first. Um, then I went into catering after school. And then I left catering management and I went into security and being a bouncer. <laughs> so <laughs> I've done all different kinds of things. I started off in this company where I'm working now. There's literally rock bottom labourer. And I did in-house training with them and worked my way up to being in an aerospace engineer, so it's not too bad. <laughs> My God, man, you, you would think with all the brains that you have being in aerospace, you could pick your own hours, but damn. <laughs> I know, I know, <laughs> you just can't know. <laughs> I know a lot of people say it all the time, like, surely you can do this, and surely you can do this, and I'm like, no, nah, you can't. It literally, my work's like, literally like, you have to have this free shift patterns and that's it. <laughs> now, what you're in London, right? What part of the or what part of the UK are you in, and where were you born? I'm in I'm in Yorkshire, near oh. Manchester. <laughs> yeah, so it's a bit north than London and stuff. So wow. it's quite. Me I love and, Yorkshire. Now I, I don't know how close this is to you because I can't remember. We, me and my girl were just watching a Netflix documentary about yeah. um the what's the sport that's played annually and uh it's like rugby but you can punch each other in the face oh yeah i know what you mean i don't know much about it to fair because it's that's a bit down south towards uh, i forgot where it is now yeah it's about two hours for me that's so. oh okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's oh it's in france actually that's my bad it's it's i don't even think it's in uh uk i think it's um uh, unless there's a version of it in the in the UK, yeah, there's a there's a version in the UK, and all the all the local town plays it, and there's like thousands of people just trying to get this ball from one end of town to the other. Wow. It's mad. It's mad. <laughs> well, Terrence, I'm excited to have you on uh, because you're the founder of Don't Man Up, and yep. uh, I and I I love that concept. As soon as I saw it on Instagram, and and we started corresponding, I was like. I got to talk to you uh, j just based off of that. Can you can you talk to us about what that's about and how that started for you? Um, what it was, I've been through loads of loads and loads of stress and everything, like loads of ups and downs. Um, my father passed away when I was like nine. He committed suicide and took his own life. And just working around some people and all you get getting told as a man, there's a special way I'm from around Yorkshire area. It's like you sit there and think, oh, I can't be bothered. I'm, I've, I've got no motivation. I've not got this. I'm just, I'm just not feeling it. And literally everyone from family to work colleagues all sit there and say, just man up. Just just man up. Man up and get on with it. And even my ex-partner, before we went through a divorce, uh, I went to her and told her, Spilt beans, how I was feeling, and she's at the same. She's like, "Well, you just got to get on with it, ain't you?" And it was like, I'm fed up with people saying to people, and I, I listen to it still at work. Some people, cause like the old generation, was like, "Oh, you've got to man up," and I was like, "No, you don't. You don't. Don't man up, because if you man up, and that's when you go and do silly stuff, and you need to speak up about your mental health issues and stuff. And it's just that's when I was just sat there and thinking, I need to." do something to raise more awareness on the concept and that's when i was like right and i did a bit of research and nobody seemed to be doing the don't man up kind of movement i like to call it <laughs> so i thought yeah that's what i'm gonna run with and that's what i'm that's what's just took off really for the last couple of weeks so it's been pretty good i i, I love that idea i mean you're nine years old your dad uh ends his life and yes. and I'm sure that like, uh, how did you see that your mom handled that? Was she kind of stoic throughout the whole thing, or uh, um, how did you see her respond to that? It was quite poor, to be fair, because well, she, I, I say quite poor. Like she really did take it hard on herself. Um, I mean, I watched my mum as soon as she heard the siren 
from an ambulance, she she started crying and had a meltdown, and it was just a bit like you, you're watching it, and it's just like at nine years old, you don't quite understand what's happened, but you see your parent, well, one parent's gone, and another parent, you see her descending into depression and stuff, and it's just it was hard to take. It were it were really hard. How did so, you how did you process that? I, I mean, was there uh, was there any counseling for you? Uh, did you color? Did you how, how did you interpret the the event? Um, there was no counseling. There was no counseling offered. It were it were a bit one of them where you were like, I didn't know how to deal with it at nine years old. If you know what I mean, it would just wanna. It would just it would just yeah. You just got no counseling offered. Um, you talked to your parent, my mum, about it, and she was like, she didn't understand because she was going down to, well, now I understand how depressed she got away. But I don't think I handled it well at all. I think I think at nine years old, growing up as well, I think I just put it more to back of my mind as a, it's happened in the past, I need to look to my future kind of thing. But then when I started going down to depression, that's when it started coming back up, when I had my children as well, thinking... Well, if my dad didn't think you were good enough, then I'm not going to be good enough. And it just went from there, really. It's just all sort of come back up again. You know, I've read that that a lot of parents, part of um, post-traumatic uh, depression for women, yep. Um, yep. but also uh, for men uh, after they had the baby, is that all those insecurities and fears uh, yep. that they had suppressed as a kid start to resurface. Because like you said, you start to think, am I going to be like um, my father? Yep. And if my father would, you start comparing your parents to yourself. And um, and in some yeah. cases, people will course correct where they will do the exact opposite of what their parents did. It's like if their yeah. parents were always around, then they're never around. Or if they were never around, yeah. they're always going to be around. Did you find yeah. yourself... Swinging the pendulum in any direction? Um, I'd say I would more, I want us to be around all the time because my dad went not real life. We were like, the memories I've got is he was always trying to build a better life for us, like working all the time. He was trying to do a business and stuff like that. And he tried to provide us a nice lifestyle. So you, I barely really got to see him that much when he was working. I, like, I think I saw him a couple hours on a weekend, if that. So when then when I had my children, it was like, right, I want to be there for everything. No matter what it is, I'm going to be there. So that's the kind of way I went. So it was just about, yeah, just a bit weird with that one, I suppose. So looking back, do you imagine then that uh, your father may have felt overwhelmed by all the things he was trying to do and, and being a provider? Or uh, was there other uh, uh, confluencing factors? Uh, Underpinning, I think he got overwhelmed. Um, doing what I've looked at in the last, I'd say, six months with life coaching and listening to a life coach, what I invested money in, um, he, says it, he says it exactly how I think it were. He got overwhelming one side, then he got his burnout from working all the time on the other side, and it just collided and exploded in the middle. I think that's what that's what's happened to the fair, that was what happened to him. And it's something what people need to try and avoid doing and you still need to take that time out. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. I mean, e even now, especially, you know, uh during the, the this quarantine, I feel myself uh, yes. wanting and, and trying to do more uh, than I can handle emotionally, yeah. not physically. It's not just a, the physical part. It, it, there's an, an emotional uh, uh, part to it also. Uh, yeah. I have to, I have to pull myself back sometimes and it's hard because yeah. you're like, the sun is still out. So I always feel like if the sun is out, I should, I should, I should be productive and doing things and, you know, uh, and, and not uh, having compassion for myself and, and just saying, hey, uh, you know, you, you, you've done enough for the day. Or at least uh, for now, you can take an hour break or a half hour break. I was like, I had more breaks when I had a job. Than, yeah, 100%. Um, 
yeah, I agree with that completely. So, uh, you know, when when you look back, I would imagine at that age to have something like that happen, there's usually like a, a reaction from the kid. Did you, how did the, the, the kids at school know? Did they find out or was there, uh, was there uh, a response from that? Um, during the, what we call it, I don't know what you'd call it in America, like the junior school, uh, when you're up to like, up to 11 years age you go to like over it's a primary school oh yeah but when my yeah like middle school yeah when my dad passed away we stayed around that local area for a couple of more months but then we moved to the other end of the city so then i moved to another school which they didn't really know anything like the kids so i basically didn't even tell the kids then because um then we went to secondary school which is like your version of high school in america um, that's when I started being a bit more kind of open about it. But kids are heartless, man. I mean, as <laughs> soon as some found out, I got bit, I got bullied about it. And people, I literally had the like, kids laughing in my face saying, hey, your dad took his own life. Hey, you, you did it because of you and all this. And it makes you feel like shit during school. And that's how kids are, I suppose. But there's no excuse for kids behaving like that. But it's yeah i got bullied for it in like high school secondary school but during middle school junior school no one really knew about my history and my past and that's how i kept it during that man that that has to be awful and, and i mean did you ever go to the teachers or the adults or what what was their uh response uh yeah that? yeah 100 i went to teachers a couple of times and they tried pulling the kids in um, it's it's school school over here in England. Like when I was growing up, it was just it was like a, a lion's den. As soon as you went and tell the teacher, then yeah, fair enough. They got isolation or whatever. To put took out of the class for a couple of days and put back in. But as soon as people found out, you got like you snitched on the teacher. That were it. You were like you were blackballed to be anyone would come and get you. It was just, it were it were a bit <laughs> it was quite a rough school to be fair. So. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy because, you know, when, when we as Americans think about England, we think about, you know, how posh it is and, and well mannered, and <laughs> everybody knows what fork to use. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. <I> know. <laughs> and there's a, there's a very dark side uh, 100%. to England. Yeah, 100 percent. I think probably with that, I think I, don't, I think the TV portrays us as this nice this nice and nice nation, what open arms and welcoming to anybody. But deep down in the lower hands of society, if that's kind of the right word, they're like the poor hens, the more deprived. It's it is like a <laughs> man for man situation. Now, did you have siblings growing up? Uh, yeah, I had two sisters, two older sisters. Wow. Now, did, do you feel like that made it easier or, or tougher? Because two older sisters, I imagine, could be very um, nurturing and, yeah. and, and or very, like, uh, just abuse. Like, it could go, like, extremes in either direction. Yeah. Um, they weren't too bad, to be fair. Um, I mean, my sister sort of went into their own things. Well, I did mine. I think being the younger child, it was a bit more like, I think Debbie got offered a bit more help through other family and friends rather than the younger, me being the youngest. So, um, yeah, I'd say me, me uh, not my oldest sister, but me middle-aged sister, because I'm the youngest of three. I think Debbie, she was a bit more supportive, but the older one, I think she took it a lot harder than what, people really anticipated so she just like kind of secluded herself in her own little environment so it'll be yeah <laughs> wow it so i i it sounds like everybody was basically secluding themselves within one yeah. household it's like you have now you have four people living under one house and but all living very separate lives separate or, lives yeah 100 yeah. percent. that's how it went that's and, how it went. And, and so, like, you're being bullied in, in middle school, and, and it carries on through high school. 
What, what, yeah. what was there a saving grace anywhere in there? Was there were there like a group of friends that you started to make or uh, the thing that you joined? What was what was keeping you going during that time? Um, I made a quite a good close club of. Um, I'm sorry, some words. I made a good close group of friends, which were like three or four people. Um, I'm still taught to them, like even up to today, we never fell out. We've always stayed around. But the one thing what kept me doing is when I was, especially when I turned 14, I had this target in me that I wanted to be a professional wrestler. And that's what I focus all my attention on, going to the gym, getting in shape, getting athletic, and just basically saying, that's what I want to do. That's what I'm going to do. And I, I, it was like, now I think about it. And like when I tell people now, and my life coach told me like, you need to have a focus. I think that's what I aim to do. I focused on being the professional wrestler one. I wanted to do that, and that's all I was aiming to focus on. And I surrounded with myself with a group of close friends what had the same kind of ambitions. So they supported me quite well through that. So that was pretty good, to be fair. Yeah did you did you get into a did you did you did you get into a lot of fights uh, or was there like uh, I, I mean even before the wrestling. Um, or were, were you just mostly getting beat up or were, were you starting to like pick fights and fight back at, at any point uh, in school in, yeah, in the first couple of years of high school, I would kind of, I wasn't really fighting back. I was just taking it and I was a bit like, yeah, yeah, it's happening. I can't fight back cause I'm not strong enough. I'm not this cause I'm quite a skinny kid in school. So I didn't really try and fight back, but. And then I moved secondary schools or high school, sorry. Um, and I just went into that new high school as uh, I'm not going to stand for this no more. I'm not going to sit and get bullied. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to let kids take advantage. And then I think within the first week of this new high school, this kid tried taking, it was something silly, like he took my pen off me. And I thought, I'm not having that. And I stood up and I looked like, I, could, I started a fight women's class and, it just went from there, really. So it was like it was kind of mixed. And during the last year of high school, that's when I started thinking, man, if I could keep going down this path of fighting anybody what says anything wrong to me, I'm going to end up on a really bad path in life, which I can't, I don't want to do. So I need to get away from that situation. That's when I started again. If anyone said that, I'd just walk out of class and then I'd go down to school gym or. I'd go and go and see a teaching assistant or something, and just get out of that environment. Man, I, first of all, I want to applaud you for you know at such a young age to have that kind of awareness, <laughs> and, yeah. and it's a lesson because it, I want the listeners and I want the people to know that when kids are fighting, a, yeah. a lot of the times, most kids, there's a lot of them don't want to fight. A yeah, lot of them have been uh, bullied either by their parents or by other people, and and yeah. they're, so they're reacting, and yeah. they don't know anything else. Uh, oftentimes, I used to work in a group home, and yeah. and you see this especially with uh, teenage uh, boys, where the boy who was winning the fight, he's on top, he's pummeling the other kid, would start crying. Not not the kid yeah. who was getting beat up, but the kid who was beating the other kid up, and and oftentimes it was because he didn't want to fight, but yeah, he felt that he ass. had to fight, and yeah. it was it was a it was a great lesson for me early on, uh, to in terms of having compassion for people and not just seeing someone who throws a fist as someone who's yeah. violent and aggressive, but somebody 100%. who uh, is trying to work through their emotions. Yeah, hundred percent. It's like, especially over here where I'm from, up north in England, it's quite a working class area. It's like a, you've got your steelworks, you had your mines, your your coal mines, your pits, and it were like growing up and talking to some of the people a bit older than me. It were like if you got hit by a kid on the street, if a kid come up and has punched you, if you went home to your parents and said, uh, "Crying, saying, oh, this kid beat me up," you get sent back out. And a lot of people, a lot of people I talked to against like almost like 35, 40 years old said the same thing. If they go went home when they were younger and told their mum or dad that a, a kid had it on the street, their parents would say to them, 
well, if you don't go back out and hit that kid, then I'm going to eat you kind of situation. Not like a full-on punch from parents, but they're going to get a clip off the parents and get sent back out anyway. So, like, uh, I think kids from where I'm from, like 30 to 40 years old, were like, I've got to go and fight to defend myself or it kind of raises that that thought in the head I kind of believe, do you know what I mean? Absolutely. It's like you, you're damned if you do, damned if you damned don't. Damned if you don't. Yeah, <laughs> 100%. So, so after, now how were your grades? How were you performing academically in school, in, in high school? Um, in the subjects, what I'm actually interested in, I kind of did all right. I said kind of. Um, I used to truant a lot. I didn't attend as much as I should have. Um, my attendance were literally like, I think it was about 70% of school term I'd attend. Other than that, I'd like truant and just go and off on myself and just go for massive walks during the school day or sit at home and pretend I'm ill and play PlayStation all day, which is not, it's not right thing to do now. You look back. Um, but my grades in school, especially in like your core subjects, which I completely agree, like your maths, my English, my IT, my ICT, which is computers, uh, my design and technology, which is funny now because engineering, um, I kind of just flumped it. And it was just one of these, I just want to get out of school, I don't care, kind of situations. That is interesting in how we, the, the grades that we achieve, is not a reflection yeah. of what we'll become and, and who we are, or even what our aptitude uh, no, is. When did you yeah. start to get uh, a passion and love for for the for the sciences? Um, it was kind of when I've left school. Um, I were going to join the military at first, and then it was my mum what actually like begged me not to go because all the conflict was started happening around around 2001 time with Iraq and stuff. So she was like, please, please don't join. Uh, please don't join the infantry. And I was like, well, okay, so what else am I going to, what else am I going to do? And I knew that I was interested in the IT side of things and engineering. So that's when I was like, well, if I go to more the website design kind of way, and then surely that's going to progress into other avenues so that's what I started. That's when I was like 16, 17 years old. When you leave high school in the UK, it was like, yeah, that's that's what I need to start doing now. And that's when I started taking more of an interest in actually knuckling down and studying and realised when I saw my grades from high school, I was like, oh, man, I really flumped it. So... <laughs> <laughs> I know, you know, I I, I kind of was uh, similar to you where I graduated high school with barely a 2.0 and yeah. then high school or yeah, high school 2.0, then college with a 3.0 and then grad school with a 3.4 or yeah. 5 or something. So it was like, as I got older, I became more and more interested in academics and, but you know, as you get older, you get to study more of what you want to study versus what's being fed to you. So you're, yeah, you're more passionate about it. So you put more into it. Yeah. hundred percent agree with that completely. I find so, that same scenario. So you, you, all right. So how old are you now? I'm 33 now. All right. 33 now. And you have two kids. How many kids? Yeah. Two kids, two little girls, age oh. six and four. Wow. <laughs> well, congratulations. So. First of all. And, <laughs> and, and so I would imagine you're growing up in a household where uh, there's uh, 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 tons of isolation between the family members. You're being bullied at school and, and you have a small pocket of friends and, and, you know, and then for your yeah. father to end his life, I, I would imagine trusting people uh, was very challenging for you. And, and that would spill over into relationships. How did you navigate uh, learning how to trust or what, what were the, the emotional challenges with dating, getting married, and, and then where you are now? Oh, man. <laughs> um, I find it very hard to trust anybody. I always have done. Um, but it kind of just, like, me, the mother of my children, um, 
it was kind of one of them scenarios where we were still quite young. I was like, I think I was 21, 22 when I met her. She was about 18. So it was like, and it just kind of, we started off just like hanging out and hanging out, just going for random drives. And then it just kind of built up the trust. And she knew that I'd been, she, she knew that the trust was hard for me. But she put a lot of effort into it at the time, so it kind of took a few years to fully comprehend the trust what I finally got for her. Um, so that happened, so then it was good. So then we made it official relationship after like six months or whatever it was. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, and then, yeah, then we decided to like, it was, well, then I decided to ask her to marry me, uh, do the right thing. We had kids together. But then where I am now is um, obviously the marriage has ended. <laughs> There's altercations behind, the altercations behind that where it was like the trust started dropping again. And yeah, the marriage just ended dead. And I'm now with a new partner who's been amazing. She understands fully with the mental health issues she's amazing with my kids she supports everything what i'm doing with this don't man up stuff and she did the same kind of she's been through her own mental health issues so it's been she kind of she knows and understands and she's quickly with my trust rather than having to work with it so it's been pretty good where i'm now so i'm in a positive place with her so it's yeah, it's good. <laughs> I love this, and and so when you said earlier about you know having two daughters is bringing up some of the yeah. inadequacy issues um, yeah. and and um, old th- emotions that you tried to suppress, how are you yeah. working through those? What are you doing uh, actively? Uh, what, what are some actionable things that you're you're doing to cope with that? I write down every day in a journal. I do um, every day. I do one win for one win. I do three wins every day. It's one win about regarding my child, one win regarding my relationship, and one win regarding my work life. Um, so all I do is set small targets for every like ninety days of what I want to achieve with my children, um, and that's what I keep targeting every ninety days. I have every beginning of every month. Say I set my ninety days for like three months from the first of October or whatever it were. Uh, every month on the first, I look back and review my target, and it's only small steps each time. But then I always keep in t- touch with me, like my children's school, make sure they're progressing well in my school, in the school, and I just keep reassuring myself that my children at the moment, and the education-wise, are doing tremendously. My children in the personal life are developing amazingly. They they really are sociable young children compared to what I were. So as long as I keep focusing myself on writing one win from my children down each day in my journal, I keep looking back at that even when I start feeling like, oh, I'm not going to be good enough dad again. I'm not going to be, I'm not good enough for my children. I look back at the wins, what we've achieved together. And I realise that actually, yeah, we're doing a brilliant job as a dad. We're doing a brilliant job as parents. So that's what I do. I write one win with my children down every day. And are you, are you writing that? Like, are you doing that online in a, in a notebook? Are you doing in a notebook? Like, and then, like, was it like right before bed in bed? Like, what what's what does that look like? I do it every morning or when I wake up, <laughs> depending on what shift I'm on. Um, I do it every morning so I can reflect on the previous day. But then it also gives me something to smile about the same day I wake up. Uh, and I always write it on a pen and paper in a notebook rather than on my phone so I can see it actually me writing it down because it's like an achievement then rather than just seeing it on your screen. And 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 so you got your wins, you're setting a 90-day plan or goal. Yeah. What, what's Can you give us an example of what your 90-day goal is for now if it's not too personal? Yeah, yeah my 90-day goals at the moment are... Um, I've got four at the moment. It's I want to lose two stone within 90, in another 90 days because my weight's 
ridiculous at the moment. So my 90-day target is two stone, which I'm already a month in and I've already lost one and a half. Um, it's to send my daughters, I've got to send them 30 appreciation messages in 90 days. So it's like one every three days, I send them 30 appreciation messages. I'm also making sure I focus my, my like reading and concentration on at least reading one new book in that 90 days. And uh, I also make sure with my, with my daughters that this is another win with my family kind of scenario that I make sure I have at least, I'm having at least three good days out with them, even if it's just a nature walk or something like that. But during that as well, it's we're going to be talking about the bugs, the insects, the trees, the leaves. So it's giving them some knowledge as well. So as long as the target is to have fun, but knowledgeable fun with my children where they can actually memorize it, then that's a win. <laughs> oh, my God. I love those. You just yeah. inspired me. You know what I actually did is, and I haven't even used them yet. Yeah. <laughs> is I bought um, certificates of completion. Yeah. So that when I when I accomplish something like a ninety day target or thirty day, I can like you said, so you can see it and put it up on your wall. Physical and wall. Yeah. yeah. It's like 100%. we're we're always like waiting for someone else to give us a ribbon or a trophy, yes. but we can give that to ourselves. Ourselves. Yeah. Hundred percent. I think you. I think. I think that's key to like changing mindset from being where you are when you're in the depth of depression. I think you've got to realize when you need to reward or praise yourself as well. So you can see it physically. Now you talked about sleeping and you know, you're working a graveyard shift and now it throws you off. Do you have a sleep routine? Um, I don't really have one as to say I have this and do this and do this. But as long as I have a minimum of six to eight hours a day, I feel like that's going to be a pretty good achievement for me. Um, now, there's some days, obviously, working a graveyard shift like you'll know in the past, where you'll go to sleep and three hours later, um, you'll have roadworks outside the house, and that blows it off completely. But as long as I have at least six hours, have a cold shower after I get up, that's me good to go. I love it. And and so now let's get more into this don't man up and 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 more into the details of it like who uh is uh, participating in this? Who do you want to propose this program for and and what can they expect? Originally I started off just trying to aim at men because obviously looking at in the UK um, the male suicide rate, the suicide rate 75% of all suicides are men. So one of them were like I want to target that working class men, just like myself, what what the kind of people are getting told to man up all the time. So that's where I started off with the, uh, listen, you don't need to man up, you need to speak up more. Um, it's nothing to be ashamed of now. But as it's gone on, I've got more, I've got a good percentage of men and women now seeking coming to me for messaging me for advice and stuff as well. So then I've looked more into like the women's side statistic as well, the female side. And one, what I saw was some, it were uh, more women self-harm and attempt uh, have suicidal thoughts than men, but more men follow through with suicide than women. So it went like, uh, Oh shit, man, I need to open this up to everybody rather than aiming at one certain Droop. So now it's it's literally I, I'm aiming it at men and women because um, women get told to just to man up as well. Like my partner, she's she said to me over over day like when she used to work when people said, oh I just need to man up and get on with it, don't you and do, do your job as a as a as a as a, as a woman. It's it's ridiculous to be fair. So I'm aiming it at men and women, and especially I'm trying to get more towards young people because the statistic what I found over day. Well, some fifty-one percent of eighteen to twenty-four-year-olds what got surveyed are embarrassed about having mental illness or won't seek help. So now it's kind of gone from middle-aged men to 
now this is a bigger problem than just middle-aged men taking their own lives. This is like a, it's it's like it's like a pandemic if you want to say that word. Um, it's every forty seconds, I think. Will Will organizes, and every forty seconds, someone takes their own lives. So now it's more like a campaign to raise an awareness for everyone, rather than just one demographic of society. So. It's gone pretty well, to be fair. And the Don't Man Out podcast, um, originally, again, it was like, a, oh, I'll share my story on it. I'll give, I'll try and share some advice on it. But during the last couple of weeks, especially during the last week or so, when people's been messaging me, it's kind of, I'm more imminent towards like an open forum where people can come on and talk about their experiences and they share their stories. So rather than having a well-known person or whoever on it talking about their story because it's not kind of relatable as much as to a working-class person as well as I can have working-class person down the road who can't afford a therapist who can't afford a gym membership come on and talk about their their side of the story as well. So that's what I'm aiming for now. So it's going quite well. I've got a couple of interesting interesting stories coming up so it's pretty good you know it's so funny that you mentioned that because i i too have realized that like you know i've had some new york times best-selling authors and um and uh, and other high achieving guests and but the the most impactful stories and the ones i get the most messages about are the working class people who because they their their emotions are raw they don't yeah. have sound bites. They're not worried about an image. Um, yeah. They are just telling you their full, raw, unadulterated story. And, yeah, exactly. Uh, and they, they get into the, the details of it. They don't leave anything out for the most part. <laughs> I mean, everybody leaves something out. But um, but you're right. It, it, and it, it um, you can connect more and empathize more and relate more uh, yeah. to a working class person than... Um, someone who uh you know percent, and I, I do always think it is still nice to have that high achiever come out and say it as well because then you look at and think oh well maybe if they if they've got it say like there's a well-known boxer in well world champion tyson fury i think he, he inspired a lot of people to come out and he come out and immediately he had mental health issues and he had weight gain and he went to depths of depression i think that inspired a lot of more like the odd men kind of people sites come out and start speaking about it as well. So I do think it helps having the high achievers, but again, like you said, the working class people seem to connect more with your audience. So that's what I've started aiming for more. And when you are reaching out to these people and, and connecting with them and, and talking to them, what what are some of the things you said? It's not about manning up; it's about speaking up. What, yep. what are some other things that you you want people to take away uh, from from the podcast and, and from what you're about? I want people to take away that um, it's not all about being happy. Like you, you, you hear some podcasts. I've listened to a couple of podcasts from some other people, and it's even like being like oh, I've done this and I've cured my mental health and I've done this and it's like, no, no, no. I strongly believe mental health, mental illness, once you've you've developed it, because I think it is developed, uh, that it's not curable. It's just about how you manage it and you need to manage it in a better way than letting it control you. Because if you let that control you, then (laughs) that's when you go down to deep depths of that dark well, what I talk about a lot. Um, I refer to it as a dark well. Um, so as long as people get from my start side and my guest side that no matter how far you go down, if you can manage your mindset and depression and anxiety well, and then anything's achievable after that, to be fair. I love that idea that it's not about getting rid of it. It's about managing it. There's so many books out there that are like, how to, how to be fearless um, yeah. how to get rid of your anxiety, how to get rid of depression. And it's impossible. It's a, it's a, yeah. it's a part 100%. of humanity. It's a part of the human experience. And in some, yeah. and in some ways 
having fear, having depression, having anxiety, there are very healthy coping mechanisms. It's not that there's something inherently wrong with uh, being sad or being depressed. I mean, if if you if your dad has passed away or ended his life, uh, then you have you should have a window to feel depressed, to feel hurt, to feel those things. And so it's about, like you said, managing it and figuring out how to channel it. Like you channeled it into wrestling. You took that energy that you had and uh, and you put it into something constructive versus destructive. Yeah, hundred percent. And it's, it's kind of scenario. I touched on with my uh, new partner. I said, um, the first, I think I've only done like three episodes of podcast so far. But the first three, like, it seems like, I said to her, when it seems like I'm just like, I'm cured, blah, blah, blah. And it's not coming across that. So I said, when I do have a dark day and a deep, a sad day, which I still have every, like, few months, I went, I'm going to start doing that as, like, a bonus podcast so people still know that even so, you are climbing that ladder to get out of that well. You still sometimes can take a step back, and that's okay, as long as you refocus your mind, you have that dark day, refocus your mindset again and start climbing again. Just don't keep falling down. So that's what I'm aiming to do as well. So you talked about, uh, don't man up, speak up. It's so hard for men and and women. It's just hard for people in general to share their emotions and how they feel. Uh, do you, what's the challenge for you? you you got your, you have your girlfriend, you have your two daughters, uh, yeah. Those times when, um, you know, when she, when your wife or your girlfriend does say something that hurts you, that uh, is, I mean, you know, and, if, and people don't always do these things intentionally, uh, you know, it's yes. just that we're all, we have our, all have our own sensitivities. How do you address that? How do you, do you say, hey, what you said hurt me? Or how do you address those moments? No, we, me and my new partner were completely upfront and honest with each other if we say something what the other didn't what uh, the other didn't agree with we 100% would just tell each other straight away like well no no that's that's not right that's not that's not how it is um what you said just upset us to be fair and because we're both being through the mental health from both are coming out the other side we both kind of understand instantly what each other's thinking and it's kind of a weird scenario, to be fair, because a lot of people, if their partner says something what they don't like, they kind of just bottle it up and just keep bottling it up until they have one big argument and it all comes out and then they bring stuff up what they said six months ago. So this is something what me and my partner agreed we shouldn't do straight away. And we were like, look, if one of us says something, what the other don't agree with or hurts the other, we need to say it there and then and we need to come up with a, a plan to settle that there and then I love and can you give us an example of a moment of that or um or you don't remember um, I don't remember many okay. many occasions where we've like had a bit of a disagreement or someone said something was uh each other it was, it's we've got we've been quite plain sailing to be fair to <laughs> it, so it's quite good <laughs> I love it uh you know uh, when people experience a divorce, it's very um, unmanning for, especially yeah. uh, for men. How did you handle that that period of going through the divorce and then actually being divorced? Did, did, were you and your girlfriend um, be together before the before the the actual divorce, or was there a window where you kind of felt undone? Um, no, when I, my, my ex-wife first told me, like, she wanted to separate, uh, I still ended up living in the same household as her for a couple of months before I decided, like, look, this isn't going to work, I need to move out, so I went and got a bed seat, well, it was literally like a, it went, I didn't even have a separate bedroom to my kitchen, my bedroom, the kitchen and living room in the kitchen and, and all that, but then I ended up moving in with my sister when my sister, I think my sister knew I was going down worse and getting bad so my sister said look come and move in with me for a bit so I moved in with my sister but um, during the initial stages when my wife my ex-wife so he first told me that she wanted to follow through with the divorce and it sent me 
so far down that well. I think it, you feel like you failed as a dad, as a parent, as an husband. It's It just comes out. And I tried to block it out by saying, yeah, yeah, it's for the best. And in front of my mates and in front of my work colleagues, I was like, yeah, it's for the best, don't worry about it. But deep down I knew that I would hurt inside, but I didn't want to... Again, this is the... I was manning up rather than speaking up about it. Um, and I covered it, I've, I've covered it in my first podcast, I covered it in gambling, drink, watching porn, uh, being a class clown at work. Being, I was, I was just a prick to be around sometimes. Um, but when I found my partner, when I got with my partner, now, the divorce still wasn't finalised. Uh, and she understood this, and she we talked about it numerous times, but she drove me to get through that last that last few months of the divorce to be thinking, well, look, think positive about the future rather than it, you need to release that past and look forward to the future rather than trying to hold on to the past when you know it's not, the past isn't going to come back. And I was like, yeah, and I'm going to be forever grateful that my new partners helped me through that last few months of getting that divorce finalized. She was amazing through that, to be fair. Terry, this has been such an awesome episode. Is, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you feel like the listeners should know about you or the dope man up? Um, pretty much just what we've said. Um, obviously, I'm, I've, I'm smashing it on Facebook. I think I've got nearly 200 likes in 24 hours. Um, I'm podcast is going quite well um it's not open forum and i'd love to like anyone would want to voice their opinion on it to just get in contact with me through dms or instagram or wherever um because it is going to take off pretty well i'm determined for it to take off and i think if you're determined like i'm sure yourself would determined to get your uh, before you kill yourself podcast out there and now it's doing tremendously well have <laughs> so it's like I think if you're more determined to make it happen and more focused, it's gonna it's gonna be a movement rather than a yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, and then where plug all your things? Where can people find it? All the things. All right, Instagram is at tdunk87 because I like to quite me. I like still having that personal touch rather than making it a business account kind of thing. So my Instagram's at tdunk87. Facebook page is Don't Man Up, but you'll find it. Uh, Don't Man Up podcast is available now on Spotify. It was show up at first, but now it's search, search, uh, showing up in search bar. Apple podcast again, Don't Man Up. And I've in process of creating the website where it's going to include me, written blog and stuff at www.dontmanup.co.uk. And then last question, I ask this of all my guests, because I always yep. imagine is one person listening in who may be on the precipice of ending their life. Yeah. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to them, Terry? Don't do it, please. I, I touched on this on a video yesterday what I released on my Don't Man Up pages. When you start feeling like you want to end your life, and then I nearly did it twice, you feel like you're a burden. You're not a burden. You will hurt more people by killing yourself and committing suicide then you will by reaching out to them to help you you will just pass your hurt on somebody else believe me i i i experienced that with my dad so just you are not a burden on anybody do not kill yourself even if it's a bad day a bad week a bad month a bad year it will get better if you want it to get better but you've got to be you've got to be uncomfortable to change that position, which is why you are looking at ending your life. So use that as a platform for change and just keep believing in yourself because you're never, ever going to be a burden to anybody by speaking out. Terry, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. My pleasure, mate. <laughs> Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help for you calling the 1-800-SUICID C-S-U-I-C-I-D-E or the 800-273-TALK. There are also international numbers listed in, in every show notes. Uh, go check out the Dope Man Up podcast. 
Um, <laughs> and you can always go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you so much, Terry. No, it's thank you. Thank you. And just a quick reminder, BetterHelp is not a crisis line and wants you to start living a happier life today. So go to BetterHelp, H-E-L-P forward slash Leo and enjoy your 10% off today. Today you can start your journey to being happy, to achieving your goals, to feeling heard and connected. You can start communicating now. It's worldwide and you can join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional now. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash Leo to start your journey today.